to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 46 and today I want to talk about what I think every parent wants. An independent, self-motivated, resilient teen who takes ownership of their learning and revising, their bedroom, their behaviour and their choices. Sounds too good to be true? It's really not, but the secret is starting early. Now, please don't worry if you've got a teen, all is not lost. Let's start off with why we would want an independent teen in the first place. Isn't that what causes most parents angst? They want to do what they want to do with no regard for the consequences or dangers. Now, independence breeds confidence and confidence leads to resilience, which is the ability to bounce back from setbacks. And let's face it, life is full of ups and downs and setbacks. What distinguishes those who are the most successful in life is their ability to pick themselves up, as the old saying goes, pick themselves up, dust themselves off and start all over again. So I think it's a really key topic. And actually, let me tell you, why I bumped up this particular episode. Uh, We were going to be covering it as episode 48, but we bumped it up to episode 46. I was reading an article over the weekend, and those of you who are on my newsletter list would have um, been sent this article in the newsletter on Monday. And it was about a new television programme on Netflix, a Japanese television programme, where they were given, basically giving preschoolers tasks Um, like running errands, you know, going down to the shop or picking up some dry cleaning or going to buy something and then secretly filming these preschoolers and what they got up to as they were performing these tasks. And what was interesting, I mean, I've not watched the programme, but I'm sure even as you listen to this, it will probably spark some form of reaction some of you will be thinking oh my goodness me you know to what depth do we go to in terms of sensationalizing things we're now having preschoolers doing this how dangerous or you might be thinking yeah well what's wrong with that or anything in between the idea was that it, it just got me thinking because I think as a generation and probably more than just a generation but I think that we are probably quite risk averse with our children and we'll talk about this when we look at I've actually got seven tips I want to talk through with you today but I do think that this is a really important exercise in having a think about what do we encourage our children to do how much independence do we actually encourage our children to have and how much of that is actually about us rather than the environment that our children live in so I think the the article talks about this notion that obviously, however many, 20, 50, 60 years ago, 100 years ago, we didn't have all of these, I guess we probably didn't have the luxury of thinking about these, very, you know, making a decision about whether we let our child do X, Y and Z because children worked. They had jobs. You know, you started work at a very, very young age. So they would have had to have got themselves to their place of work independently even if we think back hundreds of years where children would have had to found their own made their own way to school and so there would have been a huge amount of independence that children inherently had or got by sheer virtue of the circumstances and the way that we lived our lives now I know some of you are probably shouting at me as we speak 
saying, yes, Mary Ham, but those days we didn't have all of the dangers that our children have. And I think that's probably a fair thing to say. But I also think that the world is not necessarily any more dangerous in some aspects as we create through our own anxieties. So let me explain to you that there was this bit of research. Now, unfortunately, I don't have the details to hand. I read, I remember reading this article probably a good 20 years ago, but I remember it was quite thought provoking because my children were really young. In fact, I might not have even had my daughter by this stage. I think I'd only had my son. He was probably a couple of years old, but it had a profound impact on how I then parented. And the article basically interviewed a bunch of pickpockets. And they were asked to watch some video footage of individuals, basically. And they were asked to sort of almost make a decision as to which people would they pickpocket based on their behaviour. And I can't remember what it was specifically that they videoed these people doing, but they're probably just walking down the street. And what they found through the research was those individuals, those teens and children who had not been given uh, a huge amount of independence, so they weren't used to running errands, they weren't used to going to shops, they weren't used to catching buses or trains or tubes very much, were the ones that they, that these pickpockets highlighted and chose as ones that they would likely pickpocket. And the researchers at the time commented it was much more to do with the confidence and the ease with which those who had experience of these things tended to conduct themselves, how they tended to walk, how they tended, how their body language was much more relaxed and they held themselves in a more confident way. And so they were, from the pickpockets perspective, they were not such an easy target. And I just want to put that there for you to necessarily to have a think about you know, and going back to this idea of, you know, let's remember, why do we want to raise independent children? Why do we want to be encouraging our children to be independent from a young age? And surely it's because it's this goes back to my analogy about the whole the building and our role as parents. But ultimately, as I say, countless times in my membership, or with the families that I work with, Our role as parents, we are custodians of our children for a period of time. Our role is to help raise them to become independent and, in my view, happy and emotionally resilient adults who are able to then go on and lead their lives and make the choices as to how they wish to lead their lives. And that goes back to this analogy about the building. Yeah, our children are a building under construction. We within the family provide the foundation, those solid, strong foundations on which this building rises by giving them the values that are important within our family. We talk about morality, we talk about choices, we talk about honesty, we talk about all of those things that are key and important to our children and then their building rises. As their building rises, we provide the scaffolding. We're there to catch any falling masonry or any falling timber. But as the scaffolding, we adapt and modify and mould where the scaffolding is placed, dependent on the building that our children begin to create. We don't get to choose what building our children create because our children will inhabit it. We won't. We get to visit hopefully, and make a nuisance of ourselves. But sorry, I got sidetracked. But we get to visit, but we don't inhabit that building. Our children do. So we don't get to choose whether our children build a bungalow 
a sprawling mansion, a warehouse conversion, a penthouse suite, a small basement flat. We don't get to choose that. Our children do. So with that in mind, it is so key that we encourage our children to be independent because when we do everything for our children, we stifle their growth and their future happiness. And I know that we don't do that from a place of malice. I know that we do that from a place of love. We want to nurture our children. We don't want to see them in pain. We don't want them to be agonizing over things. But my question is, if you are not encouraging your children to be independent, I would just ask you to consider and sit. I'm a great one for reflection. I'm a great one for journaling. Just reflect on why. Is part of being there for your children a way of helping you define who you are and your purpose? So it's important for you to do lots of things for your children because that's your job. And if you didn't do that, what else would you do? I'm saying this with love because it's so important because we have to be honest with ourselves about why we do not encourage our children to do more for themselves. Do we have a view that actually by our children doing more for themselves that actually we're failing in parenthood in some way? Maybe there's some societal pressures. Maybe there's some family pressures. Maybe that's what your partner expects. Maybe that's what your extended family expects. If you're not doing for that, that for your child, then maybe you're being lazy. I don't know. It'll be different for different people. I would just ask you to consider that first when you do almost a little bit of an audit. It's not one of my seven tips. I'm going to go through with you shortly. But I think it is really important that we ask ourselves, how independent do I encourage my children to be? How much do I do for them? How much do I tell them that they need to do? And how much do I just set down as an expectation? And how much of that is really what I want to be doing or what I found myself doing? And if it isn't, if you want to make some changes, then work through one or two of these tips initially and then expand. I'm a great believer in not taking on too much, not biting off more than you can chew. Start off with one or two changes. You can be so much more consistent when you look at one or two changes. When we try and take on too much, that's where the inconsistency comes in and that's where our children do the whole, Ugh, what's the latest podcast episode they've listened to now? What's the latest book or fad that they've done? Oh, we know, what's the point? Because it's all gonna change in a week's time. Consistency is key when it comes to parenting. So lecture over, apologies. But I've said it with love and I think it really is such an important thing because when our children are independent, that breeds their happiness and it also gives us space for us to sort of do more of what we want to do. So I'm going to give you seven things and I'm going to talk you through each one. So the first one is about expectations. Are they growth appropriate? I nearly, when I was, because I always write down my top tips so that I can remember, because I can, as you've probably realised, I can go off track very, very easily. And it very, I could have very easily said, are your expectations developmentally appropriate? But actually, it's got nothing to do with development. This is, the development has a part in it, but actually, are your expectations of your child right now encouraging their growth right now? Now, obviously, a lot of this will depend on children. I'm I'm very much of the view of not at this age, children should be able to do this. At that age, children should be able to do that. I do believe from the the moment that we have our babies, 
these tiny precious bundles, we should be thinking about ways that we can provide appropriate growth, appropriate changes in our expectations. So whether you've got a young child or whether you've got a teen, are your expectations growth appropriate? So for example, if you are a parent that is currently nagging your child to do their revision for their GCSEs or their A-levels or whatever the exams may be in the country which you are listening to the podcast episode, maybe it's even you know younger children with other things and end of year exams or other bits and pieces, what's growth appropriate? Is it growth appropriate that you should be all over them constantly nagging them or actually is it much more growth appropriate that they take ownership for that now i know when we're talking about specifically things to do with exams we want our children to do really well of course we do we don't want them to mess up we know particularly when these are the external exams that they get this one opportunity and that that's going to stay with them for the rest of their lives but equally us nagging them constantly is also not helping them take ownership. And the ownership aspect is a really, really key part. And we'll cover that a little bit further on. So it's it's just simply looking at, are your expectations growth appropriate? Have you got a three, four, five, six-year-old? And are your expectations, for example, of after they've had got toys out and played and had games, are they growth appropriate? Do you then scoop everything up and tidy things up? Or do you encourage them to do it? I want you to change your viewpoint to, am I helping my child grow with my expectations of them in this particular situation? Or am I stifling that growth? So it's really looking at things from that perspective. So that is my top tip number one. Tip number two is, to reflect on your attitude to risk and where this comes from. Now, obviously, risk is a broad subject. So obviously, attitude to risk may well be the conversation I said, you know, this narrative about these preschoolers who are going off out into the big wide world and being sent errands and then being watched by cameras. So attitude to risk may well be your child being independent, catching a bus, catching a train, catching the tube, going out and running errands, being outside with their friends, coming home late at night. I think that's what we might think about risk broadly, but I also want you to think about risk in what you might not necessarily think about, um, which is a conversation actually I had with somebody the other day about baking, cooking. How much do you encourage your children to be able to be independent in the kitchen to create their own baking, to make their own cakes, maybe to make sandwiches, maybe to help chop vegetables? Risk then is much more about risk of mess, potentially, But also there might be an element of risk if we're encouraging our children and allowing our children to use sharp implements in the kitchen. So I think with this one, it's just sitting for that little bit and asking yourself, what is your attitude to risk and where does that come from? And is it inhibiting your child's growth? Does that feed back into number one in terms of the expectations? Are they growth appropriate? So are you stifling your child? Are you doing things for them? Or actually, are your expectations absolutely spot on? Given where you live, given your personal circumstances, given that sort of situation, these are going to be very, very bespoke to you. Now, I will be honest, I have quite a high attitude. I've got quite high tolerance to risk amongst lots of things in my life. I have a high tolerance to risk. I'm an entrepreneur. So in lots of ways, I have that. I don't have that security net in lots of ways of a paid salary, 
So I already have that high risk, but I also have a very um, tolerant and a high attitude to risk with my children. So my children were in the kitchen with sharp knives, chopping vegetables from a very young age, from preschool age. My children were encouraged to go to the shop, to catch a bus, to catch the train. My son caught a train to London and a tube when he was just leaving primary school. Now, some people might be horrified at that. Some people might be thinking, actually, that's not very old. You know, that's I would have had my children doing it at seven or eight. So it's just thinking about that my children were going to school together, walking themselves into school when they were much younger. So my daughter was nine or 10 and her brother was like 12. So I just want you to think about It's just thinking about what is your attitude to risk and does it get in the way of your children? Where does that come from? What were you allowed to do as a child? How has that impacted you? What are your views about where you live and how that impacts your attitude to risk? It's really important that we understand that because when we've reflected on it and we understand it and we're being honest with ourselves, then we can have more honest conversations about, right, What can my expectations now be for my children that are growth appropriate? Where can I begin to encourage more of that independence? So those are sort of some general ones. The third one, and I have a really, I I feel very, very strongly about this one, is expect your children to contribute to the upkeep of your home. I've deliberately not used the word chore because let's face it, if you were asked, if you were told you were going to have to do chores, that sounds awful, doesn't it? Who wants to do chores? It's just, ugh. But instead, we should be using language around our children contributing towards the upkeep of their home. So we all inhabit a space. It is our home environment It is somewhere that that nurtures and provides, keeps us safe, keeps us warm and is our safe and is our, you know, is our place where we connect. So it seems absolutely reasonable from a very young age that we should expect all of our children to contribute to the upkeep of our home. That includes their bedrooms, that includes their laundry, that includes helping with laying tables, clearing tables, washing up, all of these aspects are all part of the contribution of the home because every single person uses that home. Everyone uses various rooms in the home and so it is reasonable and should be a baseline when we talk about the foundation layer of that building that we encourage our children to, that is our children's building, that's a foundation layer. Is, is that contribution to the upkeep of a shared space And, you know, it's up to you whether, you know, maybe I'm just being pernickety about the word chore. If you want to use the word chore, go ahead and use the word chore. I don't use it because I think it sounds quite negative. Whereas when we use, when we talk about a contribution to the upkeep of a home, that that sounds much more about we're working together collectively because we all get to use the space. If our children sit in a room where the television is kept and they watch television, then it is perfectly reasonable for us to ask our children to contribute to the upkeep of that room by making good of the room after they have used it. So it's not necessary that we're asking our children to necessarily deep clean or bleach rooms. That might be a conversation maybe that you might have with your teens if they're making their bathroom, the family bathroom very messy. But it's much more about if we get to use this particular space, we need 
at the basic level to be upkeeping that and to be placing to be contributing to part of that what i would say with this that is really key is be mindful of your expectations with this so i am somebody who is particular about the way that my cushions are fluffed and placed on the sofa that is not my children's responsibility that is a personal preference of the aesthetics of how i like to see that but it is an expectation of my children that the cushions are not on the floor but are on the sofa so it's being mindful of your expectations we're asking our children to make good and to contribute we are not asking them to have things from the aesthetics precisely as we would choose to have them so it's being sort of mindful of that and young children can contribute very easily in terms of tidying their toys away being able to put their own dirty clothes into a specific laundry basket and also their ability to contribute by bringing their laundry down and also potentially even doing their own laundry for our older children so we must make sure that we have this expectation of our children to contribute to the upkeep of their home. So the three we've covered so far are the expectations that we have for our children. Are they growth appropriate? The second is examining our attitude to risk, where this comes from, because we can't begin to change that until we know where it's come from. Our third is about expecting our children to contribute to the upkeep of their home. The fourth one is encouraging our children to do tasks on their own where growth appropriate so this is not about simply saying washing our hands off things and just saying right well you need to be independent now and do everything yourself but it's looking at tasks that you currently do with your child and asking yourself is that growth appropriate are there some tasks that my child could do on their own or at least start on their own so some things might be about independence in terms of being able to get started on homework now, younger children often need our help because they don't, they might need us almost to kind of interpret what's being asked of them to help them move along. It may be that we don't. It might be growth appropriate for our older children to be able to just get on with that task on their own. Are we always going um, to the toilet with one of our children? And actually, they're perfectly capable of doing that on their own. Are we always, are we bathing and showering our children or being taking them upstairs for that when actually they've reached a growth stage where they could very independently go upstairs have their shower and then we can go up and read a story so really we want to try and encourage our children where appropriate to be able to do tasks alone because that promotes and builds confidence that independence that ability to do things on their own and it discourages this view of that Seligman came up with this notion of learnt helplessness. When we always intervene, and it links to the next point that I'm going to make, but when we always intervene, when we always give our children the solutions, when we're always present to fix things for our children, and we don't encourage our children to do things independently, what can happen, worst case scenario, is that our children develop this notion of learnt helplessness. I am not able to do anything. I am helpless as an individual. I am not capable. I am not able to do things independently. And that's that goes back to this notion of stifling our children and not, not allowing and encouraging them to be their best selves. Because And again, it doesn't come because we're bad parents or we have this evil plotted plan to keep our children living at home for the rest of their lives. Of course it isn't. 
We do it from a place of love, but we have to constantly check in on ourselves. Why am I doing this? How is this helping my child? Is this growth appropriate? And actually, is this speaking potentially out of just its habit? I've always done it. And so I just keep doing it. Or is it actually part of, if I don't do this, what do I do? Am I then not being a great parent? So it's just thinking through that. So that's point number four, is encouraging our children to do tasks alone. Now that fits into point number five, which is helping our children problem solve. If we want our children to be independent, if we want to raise independent, confident, resilient children, we need to get into this habit of helping our children problem solve rather than jumping in and fixing. So we need to move out of fix it mode and move into that coaching mode, that sort of, let me ask some probing questions. Let me acknowledge how my child is feeling about this situation. Let me acknowledge that it feels quite scary to take this this task on on their own and help them work through what they could do. So we really want to get into this notion of helping them problem solve rather than fixing. Because when they problem solve, when they come up with possible solutions, and who knows, no one knows the correct, you know, the right answer, the perfect way to approach something. But when they've been coached through that process and then tried it out and it may have worked, it may not have worked, but they have the joy that they feel, the happiness, the confidence, the sure exhilaration that they have afterwards having done it themselves is phenomenal. So let's make sure that we are a bit more mindful, a bit more aware of our habit to just jump in and give them the answer and tell them what they need to do, but instead encourage them to problem solve. Number six and seven are related. So number six is give our children an allowance. And I I don't necessarily have a very, very strong view about this, but I feel that I, I personally found it was much easier to simply give children, my children, a regular allowance and not have it linked to chores or housework in lots of ways because we're expecting our children to contribute to the upkeep of their home because that's the right thing to do and not because it's the paid thing to do and there's a real distinction in that which is why I always made the choice that allow their allowance was given to them regardless it was given to them regardless of their answering back poor choices misdemeanors their allowance was what they got all of the time there were consequences to poor choices and we had conversations and there were you know some making good that needed to happen but their allowance was the set was given to them all the time and the reason why I think that's a really important thing is that we need to encourage our children whilst they're still living at home to then be able to make some of their own choices about what they do with their allowance and actually this was I don't know if it came up in one of the other podcast episodes or I might probably confusing it because it came up as a question very much um, within the membership about pocket money and you know should we get involved in what our children decide to spend their pocket money on and my view is if we're giving our children an allowance we should be encouraging them to learn about what they should do with their money and how they should spend their money and if our children are making choices to buy 
I don't know, magazines just because they've got glittery, sparkly, huge, great big number of free gifts at the front, then in lots of ways we have to just allow them to learn and to make those choices. But there is a role for us in point seven, which is again about independence, is to teach our children about money. So our relationship as adults with money stems from what we learn and what we see as children about money. So we can have an adult who has been born into phenomenal wealth, had a life full of abundance where money was always available and money was always readily available to purchase and to buy things. That doesn't necessarily mean that that child will then grow up to be an adult who then has a positive relationship with money because a lot of it depends on some of the things that have happened within childhood about what the lessons they have learned about money and what to do with it. And as an adult who's learnt a lot about attitudes to money and mindset to money and how best to manage money at a a sort of an older age, I think it's really important that these are some of the lessons that we teach our children when they're younger because it's part of their growing up to be independent, you know, being independent to make choices with what they do with their allowance, but also helping them to become independent as adults in terms of their money. So I think it's really important that children get an allowance, but I also think it's really important as parents that we teach our children some basic principles about money. So let's say our children get, for ease of maths, for me, let's say that we give our children a £1 allowance. Whether that's weekly, monthly, it's up to you. But let's say we give our children a £1 allowance. I think within our role as parents, we want to teach our children about money. So we might say to our children, well, when you get your £1 allowance, you should always put 10 pence away for something which for your rainy day account. This is the money that you might, if something just happened, you would always have some spare money. So 10 pence maybe is our rainy day allowance. Maybe 10 pence or 20 pence might be something that we put towards something that we're saving for, something huge, something big, something that we want, that we're planning. Maybe it's a big Lego set. Maybe it's a iPad for older children or whatever it might be that we put that away. So we've put a rainy day account. We've put a, um, a certain amount away for something that we're specifically saving for. And then we're going to put something into our future account. So we put another 10 pence away. So now we've saved 40 pence. The rest of it, the 60 pence, we get to spend on whatever we want. So what we're trying to do is we're giving our children some of the basic principles. You can play around with the percentages and what you encourage your children to do. But in lots of ways, that's the same way as we try and teach our children their letters, their, about their emotions and good choices. We're helping our children with develop and promote a mindset around money that promotes independence. So our children know for every pound they get, 60 pence of that, they spend on whatever they want, but they know that what they have also done is save for the future. They've saved for a rainy day and they're contributing towards something big that they really want. So that's the sort of the idea and the notion behind it. So let me just recap my seven. The first is about expectations. Are they growth appropriate? Number two is looking at your attitude to risk and where does that come from? And can it be stifling your child's growth? And what might you then need to do about it? 
Number three is about expecting our children to contribute to the upkeep of their home as a basic principle and using that language, I think, is a more positive way than using language around chores. The fourth one is encouraging our children to do tasks alone where that is growth appropriate. Some tasks, they do, they need us therefore, but where possible, where it's growth appropriate, encouraging our children to do tasks alone because that builds confidence and therefore independence. Helping our children problem solve, coaching our children through a challenge rather than fixing and going straight into that fix it. I've given you an answer mode. Number six is make sure that we give our children an allowance so they can be independent in some of their choices of their purchases and then number seven is teach our children about money and the use of money and some best practices so my give this week is my usual checklist with these seven key strategies and we're going to leave some space there's some space there for you to reflect underneath so and there's a quite a bit of reflection in a lot of these ones this week so it will serve as a reminder, but also as a tool to practically use. As usual, head over to my free resource library, drmaryhand.com forward slash library, where you'll find the link to download the resource. All you need to do is pop in your email address and you can get instant access, not only to this week's resource, but all the other free resources across all my podcast episodes. As ever, if you have enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could follow and review this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time.